episode 52 of Between the Times, a podcast of Christ Church Presbyterian. We are here today to talk about uh, Reformation 500. Uh, if you are in uh, Reformed and Presbyterian circles, you uh, have been seeing lately uh, um, much information, perhaps about the Reformers or about uh, the solas of the Reformation as uh, the calendar uh, came into this fall leading up to October 31 and the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther nailing his 95 theses uh, to the church door in Wittenberg. And uh, it, it is a, a magnificent time for us to remember the history and legacy that we have been left with the Reformation. And so today, mm-hmm. uh, Pastor John Payne and myself, Ross Hodges, are here to discuss uh, this, uh, this wonderful milestone of 500 years of Reformation. And so, uh, John, uh, let's start off and just ask, first of all, what's the big deal? Uh, what was the big deal about the Reformation? Why do we bother remembering it 500 years later? I think, first of all, we need to uh, answer that question by saying it's a big deal historically. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, in our own day, uh, we are seeing uh, the transformation of uh, the way history is being taught in our schools, and it's quite extraordinary uh, that I have uh, spoken with people over this past year and, and you know on airplanes or in conversation that know almost nothing about the Protestant Reformation. Mm. Uh, when you say Martin Luther, the first thing they're going to think of is Martin Luther King. Also, of course, of course a great historical figure. Mm-hmm. But uh, in terms of worldwide historical impact, uh, Martin Luther, the the German monk from Wittenberg uh, had uh, an influence of epic proportions. Mm. In fact, the whole course of Western civilization was changed uh, by this uh, unassuming, uh, obscure monk from this backwater town of of Wittenberg, Germany. And so just historically, it's a big deal. Uh, The way that God in his providence used this uh, extraordinary uh, man uh, who showed himself to be extraordinary by the bold stands that he took against the Holy Roman Empire and the Holy Roman Catholic Church, the two great world powers. And then, of course, Luther's writings had a massive influence on uh, priests and theologians all over Western Mm -hmm. Europe, which then set them uh, to studying the scriptures in the original languages, uh, translating the Bible into uh, the language of the people. Mm -hmm. It had only been in Latin up until that point, and so you had uh, Luther's translation of the New Testament into into German, Mm -hmm. and and then other translations, William Tyndale's, into into English. So historically... uh, it's, it's an important thing to know and, and to uh, understand if you want to know about the development of Western civilization. But there's also, of course, the theological side. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are uh, even uh, more uh, concerned or, or even we are celebrating even more so that aspect of the sure. Reformation because the gospel, while not totally obscured, had been greatly obscured uh, within the Roman Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the midst of a lot of corruption, uh, uh, in the midst of a lot of teaching, where uh, salvation was, according to the Roman Catholic Church, a matter of 
cooperation mm-hmm. uh, between our good works and 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 God's work mm-hmm. through Christ. So, a recovery of of the gospel and salvation, which is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, that was recovered in large part in the 16th century Reformation. So you've got, at this point in time in history, when Luther is nailing uh, those theses to the church door, uh, you have really, as far as the world is concerned, you have the Roman Catholic Church, and that's the church in Western Europe. There is no other church. You are, If you are a Christian, you are in the Roman Catholic Church. And then in Eastern Europe, in Byzantine, former Byzantine Empire, you've got uh, the, the Eastern Orthodox Church, but that's it. And so if you are a Christian, you're in the Roman Catholic Church, and this, be, as the name speaks, uh, this is, was a reform movement wanting to recover the gospel, yes. which historically and theologically uh, was a, had a snowball effect and ended up changing the face uh, socially, um, geopolitically, uh, and certainly theologically of Western Europe and beyond. And we need to recognize as well that the reformers initially they did not want any separation from the church they wanted to to as it says to reform the church to uh, help the church uh, to recognize its errors and uh, of course there was a lot of pushback and uh, persecution of those who were uh, speaking out Mm -hmm. about the errors not only in doctrine but also in in piety Uh, We, in our recent Sunday school classes, have been thinking about the life of Martin Luther and how when he uh, went to Rome in 1510, uh, his father, confessor, Johann von Staupitz, sent him there to to perhaps help Martin to uh, not be so overwhelmed with his his anfectung, his his inner struggle with his relationship with God, thinking that God is uh, merely a God of wrath and had, had uh, expected uh, uh, Luther to rise to a standard in order to be acceptable to God. And so Luther never felt like he could rise to that standard, rightly so. <clears throat> and so when he went to Rome, he just saw more of that works righteousness along with extraordinary corruption, mm-hmm. uh, brothels dedicated uh, to priests, mm-hmm. uh, stories of the Pope's numerous illegitimate children. And uh, so these kinds of things made Luther come back even even more upset and disillusioned mm. about the church and about whether or not he could ever be made right with God. Of course, he had his moment, his breakthrough moment, and uh, understood what the gospel was, mm. that the gospel is not about our cooperating with God's righteousness in order to be saved, but that it's through the person and work of Jesus Christ alone that we are saved, and it's by grace through faith in him that we have a right standing with God. And that glorious breakthrough uh, began a movement that spread all across Europe and changed millions of lives, even to this very day. Mm. So we we remember it because of the the impact that this, uh, this period in history and these movements had and still have today, uh, historically, but theologically, uh, even more importantly. And so, as we remember it today, are we remembering the Reformation only as a a past event, as we would 
perhaps remember uh, other historical events and things. Are we are we just thinking in the past here, or is the Reformation still something that's important today? And even Reformational principles um, mm-hmm. are those still in force today? Absolutely. Uh, you, there are, these questions are being asked. You see, you see books being written asking. Uh, was the Reformation even necessary? Yeah. Uh, further questions, is the Reformation still going on today? Mm-hmm. Well, to answer that, that second question, well, the first question was necessary. Absolutely it was yes. necessary. If you, if you believe in Reformational doctrine, you recognize there, there was and still is a lot of error in the Roman Catholic Church in regards to their view of salvation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Uh, does it is it still going today? Well, that's that's a, a no and yes answer. Depends uh, on what you mean. Depends on what you mean. Uh, the Reformation was a historical event that took place roughly between the years fifteen seventeen and and fifteen sixty. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could play around with those years a little bit here and there, but that's roughly when the the the, the first generation Protestant reformers had their ministries, and there was a wide impact. Then you have what scholars call the, the second reformation or the second generation reformers. Um, so it, it is a historical event, as it were, uh, that took place in those those decades in the 16th century. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, we also recognize that there is a need for reformation in our own day, perhaps even more so <laughs> than there was in the 16th century. I saw a quote recently by, by a friend online where they mentioned that we probably need reformation more in today's broadly evangelical church Mm. than we needed back in the 16th century. Mm. At least the errors were written down in front of you in those days that you could deal with. Mm. At least they were codified in Roman Catholic doctrine and tradition. These days, there are so many splintered groups and so much wily teaching and so much individualism and autonomy with pastors who are writing and teaching different things that you can hardly keep up with all of the errors. Now, there's nothing new under the sun. These errors are often related to ancient errors and and, and heresies. Mm -hmm. And there is a difference, by the way, between heresy... Which strikes at the vitals of the Christian faith, and error, which doesn't strike at the vitals, but still wrong, and we should reject it and teach against it. Uh, but these things are still in the church today, and uh, you can hardly keep up with all of the the various movements and leaders and books being published. So, do we need reformation today? Absolutely, we need reformation, and it's not so much that we need to reform what the reformers did. But we need to go back to what they were saying and embrace what they were saying because what they were saying was right and biblical hmm. and true. Well, it's, it's interesting that here we have in the 16th century, we have a group of people who come together not necessarily as an organized group and, and so forth, but they're in God's providence, what's happening is, is in the Reformation, people are coming to understand that what the Bible says, what God has actually said in His Word and what was taught by the apostles and, and those uh, who in the early church, the, the, uh, the pure preaching of the gospel, mm-hmm. that that has been lost. That, that over those you know, roughly 1,500, 1,400 years, uh, 
the church went from believing the Bible and teaching the Bible and reading the Bible and preaching the Bible and praying the Bible to not doing those things and to teaching something that, that varied greatly and that uh, under the Roman Catholic Church became a whole system of essentially false teaching that was uh, at times loosely based on Scripture that certainly got some things right, like the Trinity and whatnot, but, but had lost the essentials of the gospel. And so there needed to be a reform within the church to come to the truth of Scripture, to come to biblical teaching. And so we would never say that the church has passed the need to go back and make sure that we are what we are teaching is biblical, that we have not uh, gone sort of sliding away from the true doctrine of Scripture. Yes. The church always needs to be... Uh, on guard against those things, but as you say, we're not going back to reform the doctrine of the reformers, mm-hmm. because we believe the doctrine of the reformers was going back to scripture and was biblical, mm-hmm. and we need to be on guard, and yet not so. Uh, what's the kind of historically arrogant as to think that we're going to somehow get past uh, the teaching of the reformers, because in essence, what they did was go to the purity of scripture. Right. What's it? Did C.S. Lewis call it a chronological snobbery? Yes, thank you. That's the that's the term. Yeah, we we don't want to think simply because we are in the 21st century and we have modern medicine and scientific breakthroughs and so forth and so on that uh, somehow the gospel has changed in our day uh, and that God has changed. Uh, we know the Latin phrase semper reformanda, the always reforming, mm-hmm. and people mostly progressives use that to say, you know, we need to continue to reform what the reformers brought to us. Yeah. And so they say things like, you know, we need to reform our view of marriage and family yeah. to, to make it comport more, not with scripture, by the way, but with cultural yeah. uh, mores. Uh, we, we need to reform scripture mm-hmm. based on higher critical scholarship. Uh, you know, not embracing so much of the good work and scholarship that's been done on the canon by you know our friend Mike Kruger and others, mm-hmm. but embracing the uh, what you know critical scholarship has brought us. What would more easily accommodate cultural views C- that have changed and are changing? Correct. I think our challenge today, in terms of, oh, by the way, I do I do want to say that that that. that, that Latin phrase semper reformanda is an early 20th century phrase used by progressives to, mm. to, to bring us to uh, more progressive, a more progressive understanding of the yeah. Christian faith and of the Bible. Yeah. So we need to be careful with with terms like that, and uh, we need to recognize that in our day, we are not primarily uh, engaged in a reformation that is related to uh, the church as church, as Luther and Calvin and Knox and Zwingli were were doing battle, as it were, with the Roman Catholic Church and mm-hmm. with the traditions and, and doctrines uh, and councils and uh, papal declarations. That's what they were, were dealing with and trying to point out the error and so forth. Our Reformation is a reformation where we need to help the church recognize that the culture does not set our agenda. Yeah. The culture does not give us our truth. Yes. The culture doesn't uh, uh, inform us on how we are to worship 
and how we are to live. Mm. And so the Reformation in our day, I think, is a reformation of the church in its relationship to culture, mm. uh, helping the church uh, to stand firm, uh, contra mundum um, pro mundo, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we are against the world for the world. Yes. Where the, where the world is in disagreement with the word of God, where the world, world comes against the word of God, we say no. Uh, this is where we stand. And we do that because precisely because we love the world mm. and we want the world to recognize that God's word is true, that Christ is the Savior, He is Lord, His word is true. If we give in to the culture, if we buckle under the pressure of the culture and we begin to accept the things they're saying about sexual ethics, mm-hmm. about marriage, uh, about authority, mm-hmm. then the Christian faith simply gets absorbed uh, into uh, the, the, the blob of, of modern culture, which, yeah. which essentially is postmodern and says that there is, there is no truth and yeah. it's all a matter of subjective experience. Uh, so that, that's our, I think in our day, we need uh, to recognize that there does need to be a reformation, but it's a reformation looking back to what the reformers said, embracing that and holding fast to what it is that they were, they were saying. Yeah, which is looking back to and embracing scripture, embracing what God has said, that God has spoken and he has not changed. There, as you and I were speaking of earlier before the recording, there, there's a sign out front of one of the churches here uh, in downtown Charleston that says God is still speaking. On, on a rainbow flag. On a rainbow flag, exactly. Yeah. And it they mean something by that uh, which we uh, would completely disagree with. They we, we say, yes, God is still speaking because he his word is still being preached. And his, he has spoken and his message hasn't changed. It is still the same message that it was 500 years ago and 1,500 years ago and indeed you know 2,000 years ago. Um, and God still speaks when his word is heralded forth, um, but it means the same thing that it did uh, when it was originally preached and originally understood. Yes, the idea for a church like that is that God is still speaking, and he speaks basically through the spirit of the age. Yes. That whatever the collective experience of people is, that God is in that and he's speaking in that. So it's not that God would ever be against what a collective community would, would embrace, yes. no matter what it is. Yeah. And uh, we think of things like abortion. Mm-hmm. Okay, our country has made abortion legal. It's, it's legal to murder an unborn child. Are, you know, has, has God's truth about the dignity of human life changed? Absolutely not. <laughs> Um, has has God's view of of marriage has it has it changed because within the last fifteen years we've had a, a major movement within our our country a kind of sexual revolution which because of the internet is spreading in to many parts of the world mm-hmm. has God's truth changed about marriage uh, being between a man and a woman uh, no absolutely uh, not of course it hasn't and so these are ways that 
I think we need to to, to be reformers in our own day, mm. uh, and where the church embraces falsehood and error and heresy, we need to to, to call it out in love, mm-hmm. and we need to model ourselves what it means to hold fast to to biblical truth. These are serious. These are serious matters. That yeah. the things that the for reformers, of course. Um, really brought back to the forefront of the church was uh, gospel worship. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is liturgy where the congregation was very much uh, participating, not just watching what was going on up front in, in Latin, but participating. Uh, they, rather than listen to a choir sing, they sang psalms uh, and hymns and spiritual songs to the mm-hmm. glory of God together. So that was brought back into the church. Gospel preaching was brought in, in the so-called vulgar language, in the language of the people. In the language of the people, yeah. vulgar language in our day would mean you know foul language, but back then it meant uh, the, the, common. the common language. Uh, gospel, clear gospel exposition, the exposition of the Word of God, uh, the uh, discipleship of the church through shepherding oversight and care. Uh, these are the kinds of things were lost upon the yeah. church in medieval Catholicism, and so. These things were recovered, and these are the same things, quite frankly, that need to be emphasized and, in many cases, recovered in our own day. Because rather than clear, Christ-centered, biblical exposition, we have a lot of uh, histrionics, a lot of of storytelling, Mm. um, a lot of personality over over truth entertainment really entertainment yeah. it, um, not that different necessarily from the mass of the medieval church where you came you watched you you saw something happening you kind of in, potentially enjoyed what you were seeing but it, it it was not the scripture exegeted and applied for for your soul interestingly too in the roman catholic church you had choirs up front singing yeah people sat and watched now you have praise bands yeah where people sit and watch. Where people sit and watch. I've been in numerous churches while on vacation, even in our own denomination, where there is a, a kind of praise band up front, and people are standing and watching them. Mostly the men are mm-hmm. quiet. Some of the ladies are singing, but it is extraordinary to me that it has really gone full circle mm-hmm. in the contemporary church movement in many ways, where there is more of a watching what's going on rather than a participation yeah. uh, where it's microphone driven. So even if the people did sing, you wouldn't hear them. You'd only hear the, the singers up front. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the, the, the discipleship of the church and how important is that, that God's lambs are, are cared for and loved. Mm-hmm. And so we want to recover these major elements of, of the Protestant Reformation. We want to emphasize them. And so... Reformation 500 is not only a celebration uh, and remembrance of the history and all of the amazing events that surround uh, the life and ministry of Luther and, uh, and, and John Knox, the great Scots reformer, and mm. John Calvin, the, the French reformer in Geneva, and, and Ulrich Zwingli uh, um, in, in Zurich, uh, and, and, and many, many others. It, it's it's also a celebration of the gospel. And that's really the the point that we bring up. Not just because we love history, not just because you know we love these sort of colorful figures, 
um, that the, those aren't really the, the main reasons uh, or the chief reasons that we that we celebrate the Reformation still. We we celebrate it because the Lord used it to bring uh, once again before His people the purity of the gospel. That it is, uh, as you said earlier, uh, that His His word is authoritative above all else. It is Scripture alone, which is our you know rule of faith and practice uh, above all other authorities. It, it is grace alone, mm. by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we are justified, that, uh, that, that we are adopted into God's family, that it is not Jesus plus our cooperation with what Jesus has done. It is mm. Jesus alone. And, and that's a message that will never be old, should always be celebrated. And, and never assumed. And never assumed. And never assumed. And never that, assumed. That's, that's, you know, in the Heidelberg Disputation... Uh, which is lesser known, his theses there than the 95 theses. Mm-hmm. But with Luther at the Heidelberg Disputation, he contrasted what he called a theology of glory with the theology of the cross. Mm-hmm. The theology of glory being that we have inherently within ourselves the ability to cooperate with God, to be saved, to do good works unto salvation. The theology of the cross says that we are depraved, that, there's, that our will is in bondage, that we are dead in our transgressions and sins and helpless and hopeless apart from God's grace, mm. which sees nothing good in us inherently, but from the, the, the love of God sending his son has, has, uh, has saved us from our sins, has rescued us from an impossible situation. Mm. Uh, so... That's what we want to embrace, that theology of the cross, the theology that says that Jesus uh, lived, died, and rose again, and that's enough. That's enough. I don't need to add to that. Uh, The doctrine of salvation is the doctrine of cooperation for the Roman Catholics, as well as, by the way, for many Arminian evangelicals. I didn't say Mm -hmm. Arminian, by the way. (laughs) Arminian, those who hold to this idea that we simply have a head cold spiritually and we need a little help. No, we are dead in our sins, yes. and we need to be made alive in Christ, Ephesians chapter 2. Amen. And this is why we, we thank God for what he has done throughout the history of the church. Uh, his bride may be blemished, but it is still his bride, and he Amen. has done some marvelous things, including uh, in the 16th century. So we're thankful for that. We thank you for joining us on this episode of Between the Times. We Uh, Look forward to uh, our conversation next time. We hope that you will join us again.